Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Kingdom Coach Kurt Bradford. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Hey. You know why this is here? Because during, during the first service, I started crying. Yeah, I heard my preaching and I started crying. So, yeah. uh, you're, in a, you're in a series now called Eternity. Oh, well, Eternity is open for business. And what uh, Pastor Joe, my pastor, is, uh, is teaching about is how to live in the kingdom of God now. You know, a lot of us think about, you know, well, what's it going to be like in heaven? And, and there'll be no sin there, obviously, all of that. But you could actually live now uh, according to the teachings of Jesus. You can actually live that way. Now, you won't get it perfect, you know. <laughs> that's true. But um, the Lord has provided for us not just salvation, but his Holy Spirit and the Scripture and the church, biblical community, to help us know how to live until that time when we actually meet Jesus face to face. And so we're working through uh, what I consider to be more practical teachings of Jesus that apply to those of us who are disciples of his. You know, late, uh, a few weeks ago, I think you had uh, a baptism at the beach. And uh, you know, there are people there that were saying, Jesus is Lord. And what that means, you know, is, you know, I, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on a cross for me, that by his death and resurrection and my faith in him, I can be saved, all of those. But he also provides us a, a better way to live, uh, what I call the good and beautiful life. And so the way of Jesus is the good and beautiful life. And so you're going, you're working through the Sermon on the Mount to see what did, what did Jesus teach us about uh, individual issues and, and that sort of stuff. And today, with uh, Pastor Joe being gone uh, away for a few days, uh, he asked me if I would fill in here. Uh, we're, we're just going in sequence through the Sermon on the Mount. And today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, looking at verses 31 and 32. But I've also added to it uh, Matthew 19, uh, a little bit later, that I want to look at those because this is one of those, um, this is one of those places that is difficult. I mean, I mean, sometimes it's you know walking in the way of Jesus when the world's not walking that way is always difficult for most of us. But there are certain issues that the culture has a perspective, or a belief, or a teaching that is contrary to Scripture, and so those are the ones that are harder. Uh, to, uh, uh, to grasp because the culture is telling us one thing and Scripture is telling us something else. Today is one of those teachings that's a little bit, diff- I think not, maybe not a little bit, but a lot difficult, and that is uh, t- Jesus on divorce, his teachings that he gives us on divorce in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's read, uh, I'm going to read Matthew 5, 31 and 32, and then Matthew 19. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Then Matthew 19, 
Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been so. And I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, uh, I pray now for clarity uh, for me. Uh, I pray for uh, clarity in the hearts and minds of those who are gathered in this room or maybe watching online or will listen later. I pray that that which is from your spirit revealing the truth would be just deeply ingrained in your people and uh, that which is just Kurt's opinion would be cast aside and considered but not necessarily considered as being God's word. And I pray that you would use the teaching today not just to to teach us so that we have a lesson, but rather that you would transform us, God, to the likeness of Christ so that we live as Jesus would live if he were us. I pray this now in Jesus' name, and I invite you to pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people said, amen, amen. One of the issues that Jesus had to deal with uh, in the first century that's still an issue today is what are the um, acceptable, if you put it one way to put it, what are the acceptable or religious grounds for divorce? In, in other words, if, I, if I'm a religious person, and you know, in those days we're talking about uh, Pharisees, uh, Judaism, those sort of things, it's basically like they were asking, can I get a divorce and still be right with God? How, how do I go about getting a divorce and still be right with God? And Moses had said back in chapter 24 of Deuteronomy, uh, he basically said that if a man finds some indecency or some uncleanness, it's basically if, if a man finds something he doesn't like, that he could basically divorce the wife. Uh, and that all he had to do was to just say, I divorce you. It's over. That was, that was all he had to do. Well, Moses realized that that, that, was, that didn't protect the woman because uh, how, how was she going to prove that her marriage was over? You know, she, unless you were there in the conversation and you heard the man say, I divorce you. And then she could, you know, if she, she wasn't free to marry again, her, generally her, her family 
had to take her in. Some of the women even had to turn to things like begging and prostitution and such things in order just to, to pay the bills because they couldn't prove that the marriage was over. So Moses said, well, give them a certificate, which is, you know, like uh, I divorce you, sign your name, hand it to the person, and the marriage is over, you know, which was a concession, I think, that they had made. But during Jesus' time, which was, you know, significant number of years after Moses, the religious teachers who were uh, rabbis, Hillel and Shammai were the two dominant ones, they each had a different opinion about what was uh, grounds for a divorce that God would accept. One of them said that the only grounds for divorce is sexual immorality. Uh, based on the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. So any form of sexual immorality was grounds for divorce. That's what one of them said. The other one said, you can get gr anything, if you just don't like her anymore, you can get divorced. In other words, any grounds for divorce. You can just say she's not as pretty as she used to be. Or she burned the food. Or I just saw another woman and I want to get her rather than this one. So you could just... See, it was, it was two different standards, one of them extremely liberal and the other extremely conservative. That that's, that's what you could do. So that was the passage. And so Jesus knows that these teachings are filling Israel. And so the people there uh, in, in, in Jewish life, they either followed one or the other. Either they thought, if I want to get out of this marriage, all I got to do is say, I'm out, and it's over. Then the other one said, well, no, you got to have a special piece of paper. And the other one said, well, no, you can get a divorce for this. And it was that sort of a thing. So there was a lot of division. So Jesus, in the, mass, in the passage in Matthew 5, Jesus is talking to the disciples. And he's talking to the, he's, it's what they call the Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking to these groups of people who have willingly come to hear him teach. They they. They believe he has truth from God. And so they're wanting to know, well, what do you say? And so when Jesus is teaching, he is teaching them from God, and he's teaching primarily disciples. And these disciples have already decided they're going to listen to what he has to say because they believe he is truth, that he really is telling the truth, he's telling the right way, and that he is revealing the will of God. So they trust that. So when they're listening to that teacher, they believe that he's telling them what God believes and what God thinks. And so in Matthew chapter 5, that's when he's telling the disciples of Jesus. Now in Matthew 19, he's not talking to his disciples. He's talking to people that were his opposition. Uh, the Pharisees were a group of, of religious leaders, very sincere, but they were, they were legalists. You know, they were the kind of people that just, you know, they made sure every T was crossed and every I was dotted. And, you know, it, it, they would parse everybody's words. Uh, and and it, they, would, they would try to find out if there's some little catch or hook or something like that. Well, they came to Jesus. And, and when they came to Jesus in Matthew 19, they're not coming saying, oh, teach us, Lord God. They're not coming saying, help us to understand. They're just saying, huh. Which one of the camps are you in? They were trying to classify Jesus. They were trying to put him in a box. But the interesting thing is, Jesus told both of them the same thing. 
So he told those who were his followers the same thing that he told those who were his enemies. And he told them all about this thing called divorce. And so this is why what we're doing today in the, in the series that Pastor Joe has us doing is we're wanting to know what does Jesus say because we're his disciples and we want to live the way he wants us to live. And so I want to suggest to you four I guess you'd call them scriptural principles or teachings or I even said it might be called opinions or perspectives or something along those lines that I think the scripture produces. Now, these opinions are not scripture, but they're my understanding of scripture. But I also recognize that whenever you're in a a position like, like this, there are people here who have been hurt by divorce. There are people here who have experienced divorce, uh, and, and maybe somebody in your family has divorced. Uh, and so there's, there's any number of possibilities to look at this. This is not, I'm trying hard. I, I don't want to just present and, and tell you, you, you better do this, and if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. It's not that. I want to offer hope and, and help and healing. Not just for those who've been divorced, but for those of you that are married, because you've got the rest of your life to go on. We we can't go back and correct everything in the past, but we can do something about the future. So let me give you four principles, I think, that would help. Uh, For for those of you that are younger that are going to be married one day, hopefully, or those of you that are single today and you're going to be married one day, or those of you that have been married and you've been divorced and now you're remarried and those sort of things, I want to offer these scripturally-based principles, I hope, that will help you and in some cases heal. The first one is this. God's perfect plan since creation is one man and one woman committed to God and committed to each other for life. That's God's perfect plan, you know, and that, that is from Genesis, actually. When Jesus quoted in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, he, he answered, he said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother? He, what he's saying, look, he said, this marriage thing was, was not a human institution. This was created by God as an act of creation. You know, God created the heavens and the earth and the seven days and and all of these things. And then the next thing that he did was he created the institution of marriage whenever he brought together Adam and Eve. And so there's, there's that marriage. And the principle that we operate under is that no divorce at all. That's God's ideal. That's what in the beginning was God's intention that one man and one woman would be married, committed to God, and to committed to each other for the rest of their life. And that, that was God's original plan. But if you've read through the book of Genesis, you're very well aware that it wasn't long before we went off the rails for everything. I mean, we, we began to not consider God's way. It was more like, what's my way? There's a verse in the book of Judges. It's interesting. I think it describes today. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. 
And that's kind of the, the culture that we have today is every, everybody does what it's, it's, so you could ask 10 people, how, what do you believe about divorce? And they'll tell you 10, maybe 10 different things or whatever. But what we're saying here is that Jesus says that he doesn't want divorce in his people. That he doesn't want that. See, the, the way of the culture now is to just get married and hope for the best. You know, that, that sort of a thing. Or the way of the culture is, is a lot of times people get married because of some reason other than I want to have a relationship with this person. Uh, it's, it's like there's relationship comes later or something along those lines. I, I know people that got married just because of the way the other person looked, their physical uh, looks and things along those lines. But what I'm suggesting to you is that in the beginning, when God created marriage, the purpose was, and I believe continues to be, relationship. It's a relationship between a man and a woman and God, that sort of thing. So really, the first way to avoid divorce and that sort of stuff is that we who are disciples of Jesus, if you're a born-again disciple of Jesus, you should carefully consider who you marry. And you just just start off with that. Uh, There's a passage in 2 Corinthians 10 where Paul says, don't be unequally yoked. It's an interesting phrase, and most of us are unfamiliar with what a yoke is. Uh, But uh, when they were were going to plow a field or pull a cart, they would get these two giant, you know, almost almost like cows, but a lot bigger and stronger. They put these two oxen together, and there was a yoke. It was a piece of wood went over one of them's shoulder and over the other. So they would pull it together. The, the two oxen pulling together made it pulling the cart easier. And so when he says, don't be unequally yoked, Paul is saying, don't be in a marriage yoke with someone who's not a believer in Jesus Christ. You know, it'd be, uh, it's kind of a ridiculous metaphor, but if you could imagine an oxen if, if there's this, this, you know, they're going to plow this field and there's an oxen and he's in the, this side of the yoke, it wouldn't work if there were a chicken in the other side of the yoke. You know what I mean? Because it would be imbalanced. And that's, that's what Paul is saying is that it matters what the person you're going to, matter, to, to marry, what that person considers the ultimate authority in their life. If Jesus is not the ultimate authority in the life of the person you're intending to marry, there's going to be problems. Would there not? I mean, seriously. You know, if, if you're going to build your life following the teachings of Jesus and the person you want to marry doesn't, that doesn't mean these are bad people. It doesn't mean that. It just means that you, you've got two value systems that are going to be constantly in competition with one another. That's why God is saying you ought to marry a Christian. Now, some people make that, you know, legalese, you know, you know, God will get you if you don't marry another Christian. That's not what he's saying. God is not restricting your choices. What God is saying, God is giving the the advice that a loving father gives you saying, listen, you know, if, if, if you, if you're dating somebody that is a Buddhist or a Muslim and you're a deeply devoted follower of Jesus Christ, don't get married because you're going to have problems. That's just practical common sense that we're talking about, and that's what he's talking there. Of course, if 
if you're a disciple of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus make no difference to you whatsoever, you probably need to check your faith. I, you know, I think there's some people who became Christians just so they wouldn't go to hell when they die. They, they were not actually asking Jesus to teach them how to live. Just don't let me go to hell when I die, you know. You know, that's, that's why Jesus says, well, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? You know, so the teachings of Jesus are that, that God's intention from creation has been that a man and a woman get married and stay married for life. But there's a problem. Because of sin, God allowed divorce. There is something called sin. I mean, you know, Adam and Eve, it didn't take them long before they, they listened to God and everything God said. And God said, here's one thing. Don't eat anything from that tree. And so Adam and Eve said, well, let's go get something from that tree. It's like, it's like they rebelled against the authority of God on something very simple. And, but what that did was it wasn't the simplicity of their, their act so much as it was saying, we don't know whether we can trust God or not. It's an interesting thing, and I think it's Genesis 3, I think it's verse 5, Satan comes to, uh, to Adam and Eve and says, you can't eat that tree? And they said, no, God told us not to eat of that tree. And then you know what Satan says? Satan says, listen, God knows that when you eat of that tree, you will be like God, knowing the difference in good and evil. Now, it sounds subtle and it sounds kind of simple, but just think about it. What he's saying is, if, if you eat of this tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be capable of determining right and wrong for yourself. You won't have to listen to God. You can be like God and you can determine for yourself what is right and what is wrong. And so they did. And it set the, set the pattern for what we call the depravity of man or the turning from God, the rebellion of man against the teachings of God. And so if God says, this is good, the rebellious man says, well, maybe, maybe not. I might obey you, I might not obey you. It just depends, you know. Or the rebellious man just says, well, who are you to tell me what's right or wrong? It's completely ignoring the fact that the commands of God are not given to us to restrict us, but to help us. There, this is the creator of a human being telling human beings how to live. And when we say we don't need to do that, we're not in a position to know right or wrong. God is. So God says this, this is what's going on here. And because sin came into the world and Adam and Eve sinned and others do, what it means is we're in kind of in a state of rebellion for years and years and years and because humanity believed Satan, that they could be God, they rebelled against God. And because of that, this perfect model, one man, one woman committed to God and to each other for life, was distorted, perverted. Listen, if you really think about it, most sin is the perversion of something good. See, God creates something good. I'm going to have this thing called marriage where a man and a woman commit themselves to one another for life and then to God, and it's going to be beautiful. You know, as soon as, as, soon as man rebels against God, man says, uh, sang that song. There used to be a song years ago, some of my peers would remember it, but the young people won't, called I Did It My Way. 
I did it my way, that sort of stuff. And as humanity grew, the hardness of heart grew as well towards God and sometimes towards their spouse. And once, once you've disobeyed God or chosen not to believe him, not keeping your promises down, here's, that's no big deal. You know, if, if I'm going to be committed to you for the rest of my life, you know, now that I've told God he doesn't know what he's talking about, I don't have to follow that either. And what happened was humanity began to look for loopholes. They're trying to find loopholes to get out of, to get out of marriage, figuring out how can I get out of this? And, and they were looking for every, uh, the, the two uh, uh, rabbis that taught back then, one said, you know, you can get, a, get out of a marriage for nothing or anything, and the other one said only sexual immorality, then that required them to start uh, processing that, interpreting that, and deciding all of that, that sort of stuff. And so the Pharisees came to test Jesus, and they said, what do you think about it? But what Jesus does is Jesus says, look, the reasons marriages fail is your hardness of heart, not just to one another, but your hardness of heart to God. You don't trust God. God said that divorce is destructive to your marriage. So, so that's the problem. And he reinterprets Moses. And that little certificate that he said you give everybody, they see the, the Pharisees thought that if, if I want to divorce this woman, I just give her a certificate of divorce and I've fulfilled all of my obligations and I am still a holy man that loves God. See, that's what they were doing. But you know what they didn't consider? the effect that would have on the woman. Because, see, if they didn't give the woman a certificate of divorce, then she just had to support herself the best way that she can. That's why Jesus said, listen, when you get married, stay married. I know Kyler and I were talking, and I, he said, what's the big idea of your message today? I said, don't get a divorce. That's, that's the big idea of this whole thing. And that's why Jesus said, whatever God's joined together... Don't let anybody separate. And so, so the allowance for, for, for divorce that God gives is not necessarily God deciding that divorce is no big deal. It, it is a big deal. Malachi chapter 2, verse 16 says God hates divorce. So it's not, it's not, that, he, it, it's not that he doesn't care, but, it, but what he's saying, divorce was never part of God's plan. God's plan is for a man and woman to commit themselves to one another and to the Lord for the rest of their life. And I've read some data recently. I haven't confirmed it yet, so don't write it down. But it, it, I think the data says that Christians are divorcing now just as much as non-Christians. Or basically religious people. Or, you know, Christians not a religion. I won't go into that. But you know what I'm talking about. That the people, so, so people that are committed to Jesus Christ are divorcing as much as people that are not committed to Jesus Christ, and even in some cases, actually, actually more. In some cases, we get, we get as divorced as many different reasons and times as the unbelieving culture does. Typically, one of the conversations I have a lot or had a lot when I was pastoring here was someone would come to see me and say, do I have grounds for divorce? You know, and, and obviously what they meant was that it was either adultery or pornography or lust or something along those lines or else the desertion, which Paul, you know, uh, talks about. And I want to say, well, whether you have grounds for divorce is irrelevant. 
what is the basis for your not getting divorced? What is, what is the reason you're going to stay together? And are there reasons that some marriages end in divorce? Absolutely. Yes, there are. There are reasons, you know. And, and un- don't misunderstand this. Because God allows something doesn't mean that it's good. Does that make sense? I mean, you could stay up all night and never sleep again, but that's not good. Or rather than going to a restaurant today after church, you can go to Krispy Kreme and eat three dozen donuts for lunch. You can do it. It's just not the brightest thing you've ever done, if that's what you want to do, you know. It's that sort of thing. Uh, as an adult, I can stay up all night. I can eat Krispy Kreme donuts. However, Paul wrote, all things are lawful for me, yet not all things are helpful or build up or possible or good or those sort of things. And one of the signs of maturity is when you don't do everything that you can do. You have, you're free to do all of that, you know. And whenever I, whenever I counsel somebody, they say, look, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about getting a divorce. I, I, I immediately, now this is, reveals one of my faults. And those of you that have been here a while, you know, I got a bunch of them. But this is one of them. Uh, whenever somebody comes to me and says, look, I'm thinking about getting a divorce, I'm thinking of the Beatles song. Try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can't go? We can work it out. We can work it. I think through the power of God, the grace of God, any marriage can be saved. I do. Call me Pollyanna. Call me an optimist. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. I believe in the power and the grace of God because I've seen him do it numerous times in my ministry. So I try to get him to work out difficulties because I know that divorce is as a result of, of sin. That's, it. That's what it is. But there's a third principle I think you have to grasp, and that is, this is Kurt's opinion, all divorce is destructive. And I know every time, you know, every time a preacher or speaker teaches, there's somebody that goes, well, I know a case where you're wrong. You know, that may, that may be true in your opinion, but I just think, I think the Bible teaches that Making a vow to God and to another person and then not keeping that vow is destructive. If it destructs, destroys nothing more than your relationship with the God or with the other person, you know. One of the things I, I read, uh, I read that, I think it was Ronald, yeah, Ronald Reagan was governor of, of California, I think back in 19, maybe 1970, I think it's right. But anyway, but anyway, he created something called no-fault divorce, which basically meant you don't have to have a reason to get a divorce. And it became the, the law there in California. Two people could just say, we don't want to get married anymore. Uh, and, and Ronald Reagan, it's, uh, before he died, he actually said that's one of his biggest regrets was creating that. Um, I don't know whether you know, uh, well, you may know or may not, but um, no-fault no divorce is now the div- in all 50 states. So that which was permitted has become the norm. So that we just, and what happens is the destructive power is that we enter into marriage believing that we can just get out with no problem so we don't have to stay. You see, and it, it eliminates the the commitment and, and those sort of things. You know, one, one of the casualties of divorce, I think, is the institution of marriage itself. 
You know, just, just the idea of marriage. More than half of the adult people in the United States, according to one source I saw online, live together before they get married, if they do get married. And the divorce rate has doubled in the last 50 years. So I, I guess what I'm saying, I believe that no-fault divorce or just divorce is no big deal you know, it's like choosing to go to McDonald's or Hardee's. That kind of thinking is destructive to the institution of marriage, which was created by God Almighty as an act of creation. And there is an effect on society of divorce. Just believe that. But it's also destructive to our witness. You know, whenever the divorce rate among disciples of Jesus is the same as the divorce rate among people who are not disciples of Jesus, that's, that's not being salt and light. That's not being a good, that's not even offering a, an, an alternative because it's, it's hard to be salt and light in our culture. But if, if we don't consider divorce to be something negative and destructive, then who is out there saying the way of God is the good and beautiful life? You know, I, I sincerely believe that divorce is, a, is an idea of Satan. I think, I think as, soon as, uh, as soon as God brought Adam and Eve together and said, you know, you guys live together with unfaithful to me for the rest of your life, I think Satan said, oh, come on, it isn't that hard. Oh, come on, you can get out of this. It's no big deal. You can get out of it. I, I like what Jesus said about, well, I don't like it, but I, I, I considerably appeal to what Jesus said in, in John 10. He says, the thief, and he's talking about Satan, the thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come in order that you might have life, life in all its fullness. See, Jesus, the teachings of Jesus are intended to give you life. So I think what he's suggesting to us is that there are times where, where divorce absolutely has to happen, but it ought to be an exception. Like, for example, if adultery becomes a pattern in the person you're married to, and there's no sign of repentance or anything, I think that's grounds for divorce. I really do. Another is, is uh, physical abuse. You know, if, if physical abuse becomes a regular way of life, you know, the man or the woman who is beaten regularly or physically hurt regularly, they've got to get to a place of safety. They actually do. And, and if the threat of life is a constant reality, I think, Kurt's opinion, I think that the spouse has already abandoned the commitment that they made to love, honor, protect, and all of those sort of things. So, so yes, marriage, I mean, divorce is destructive and all of that, but there are times when divorce is the only option. And that happens. And when we do, when divorce happens, we've got to remember principle number four, and that is that because of grace, there is life after divorce. Peter wrote these words to some suffering disciples. He said, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. D 
Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Those of you that are familiar with Scripture, you know Jesus refers to an unpardonable sin. I think the unpardonable sin is refusing to ask for forgiveness and grace. But divorce is not the unpardonable sin. You who have been divorced, there's not, I don't know how many of you remember back in literature, well, I don't know whether they even do it anymore, but there was, there was a book called A Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne, and the lady was an adulteress, and she had to wear an A, a, a on her, identifying her. Listen, if you've been divorced, you don't have to wear a big D. And those of you who have not been divorced, you don't get to look at them as if you're somewhat better. For you're all sinners saved by the grace of God. It is the blood of Jesus who cleanses all of us. And it is the power of Christ that enables us to stay married. And in my humble opinion, some of my peers, my brother preachers and teachers, some of them uh, teach, and it, it's their right to teach it, but I disagree with them, that if you are divorced and you get married again, that somehow every night when you go to bed with the, the new person that you're committing sin. I don't believe that. I think when the marriage is over, the marriage is over, and you're free to marry again just like that certificate of divorce. The divorce was final. That marriage ended. You are free. The divorced person is therefore free to remarry as well. But now get this too. They're also free to serve Christ's church. You know, one of the worst things we do is single out some sin and say that that disqualifies anybody from serving Jesus. Listen, we have elders and deacons in this church that have been divorced and remarried. And they're some of the most humble and godly men who love Jesus with all of their heart because they have been redeemed and they have been forgiven and they don't have to wear the big D on their front. Now, for many of you, the pain of divorce, maybe you had one, maybe your parents had one or something. You may be hurting today, especially if the divorce was long ago. But I sincerely believe God can heal you if you'll let him. You just got to bring that, bring that marriage fail. When, it, when a marriage ends, it is a failure of a marriage. But you bring that failure like you do all of the other failures you have. See, the promise of, of Jesus that he gives us through his servant John is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. Now, you may be the one who caused a divorce. You may be the one who wronged your partner. Or you may the, be the one who was wronged. But either way, there's help from God. The God who loves and the God who forgives. You know, if, if the Holy Spirit, though, prompts you to seek forgiveness from the person that you wronged, that's, I think that's a good idea. However, don't go there trying to straighten them out and point out how if you, they had only done something, you wouldn't have sinned. You know, whenever you're seeking forgiveness or granting forgiveness, never ever go there pointing out the problems that the other person had that made you do what you did. Just accept responsibility for it. You know, I hurt you back then. I ask your forgiveness or will you forgive me? And, and, and if you need to give forgiveness, let me, let me recommend to you that you give forgiveness the same way you received it from Jesus. 
unconditionally. Unconditionally, Jesus has forgiven us. Of course, there may be some of you who've given up hope of any change in your marriage. Your marriage is going through some problems right now. May I suggest to you, we have probably, I know, I know this is biased, but I think we have one of the best discipleship counseling ministries in, in the state, especially in the low country, that we have counselors there who are biblically based, they are professionally trained and certified, and they can help you to work through the difficulties that are going on in your marriage. And I want to challenge another thing. This just occurred to me. There, there are some, sorry to just say some men, but I guess it's maybe people. There are some people who see going to counseling as being a sign of weakness. I don't agree with that at all. I think it is a sign of wisdom. You know, I, I went to see a doctor last week to get some shots in my back because I'm, I'm old. I don't consider it a sign of weakness that I got the doctor to give me some shots in my back. I think it's a sign of wisdom. Getting help from a counselor is wisdom. And I recommend that. We have amazing counselors here, and I recommend all of them. Well... I'm going to close, believe it or not. Yeah, dang, he's gone forever. Apologize for going in. When I, when I told this part of, the, of my sermon in the first service, I, I, uh, I teared up. And I, and prob I probably won't this time, you know. Is Joyce here? Yeah, I'll, yeah, okay. My parents divorced when I was 12. My dad was career army. We were stationed in Fort Benjamin Harrison, Indiana. And uh, my dad had an affair with a lady. And um, he decided he didn't want to be married to my mother anymore. So he divorced. I had actually writ written down that he dumped us, but I think that's too harsh, even though I really believe he dumped us. But anyway... Uh, my dad divorced us, and it was, I was 12, and my brother was six, and two sisters were five and four. So my mom became a single mom with four children, 12, six, five, and four. And uh, we, we left Fort Benjamin Harrison, Indiana, driving. We left on my birthday. They just thought it would be real. Make it memorable. Let's make it memorable for Kurt. And so we're going to drive off on, on, on his birthday. And then we drove to my grandparents' uh, home up in uh, Union, South Carolina, where my uh, maternal grandparents live. But my mother, this is in 1960. And don't do the math, I'm 74. This was in 1960. Well, my mom reminded us every day, don't let anybody know. And, and she always said, we're divorced. She never said, I'm divorced. She said, we're divorced. Because our, our thinking was that dad divorced all of us, you know. And dad had actually gone to Japan to serve there, career military. So whenever anybody asked us about, where's your dad? We'd say, well, he's in Japan. You know, he's in the military. He's in Japan. So we, were, we weren't lying. But we were actually kind of covering it up because my mother, in 1960, to be divorced, uh, my mother called it uh, airing your dirty laundry. 
You know, in other words, she was embarrassed about it and, and those sort of things, so she wouldn't let us tell anybody about it. Well, my mother was deeply committed to Jesus. One of the most committed disciples of Jesus I've ever known. And as far as she was concerned, legally they were divorced, but she was still married to this sinful man who was living with some woman. That's the way my mother approached it. And she would regularly pray, you know, that daddy would come to his senses and come back and they put the marriage back together and all that kind of stuff. Well, in the course of a few years, my dad married two other women and then divorced them too. Um, When I was 20, which is eight years later, those of you that are mathematically challenged, my dad came to my mother and asked forgiveness for the divorce and for leaving us and he asked her if my if she would consider going out on a date with him for dinner <laughs> and, and my mother and, and probably one of the I've had so many precious people in my life that have followed the ways of Jesus my mother in a act of Christ likeness my mother told him I don't remember verbatim I'm old but she said well I'd love to go out for dinner with you my husband See, to her, she was still, he was still her husband. He didn't keep her, her, his commitment, but she kept her. Now, you can call that old-fashioned or whatever. I call it beautiful, <laughs> beautiful and good, and even rare. A few months later, my mother and my father were remarried, remarried each other. And get this, my mother never brought it up again that my dad had left us. You know, a lot of people forgive you, but they remind you regularly, they, they, you know, that they forgive you. They're going to remind you, well, don't forget. You know, well, my mother never brought it up again. And uh, when they got married, very little simple ceremony, they got married. Just a few years after that, my dad was on his way to work in uh, North Georgia. He, was, he had gotten out of the Army. He's working for the post office and had an automobile accident, and he was paralyzed from the neck down. Couldn't move. And my mother, the woman who never divorced her husband, my mother nursed him for the last few years of his life. And my dad said, I saw Jesus in your mother. And they dedicated their lives to serving Jesus in a little church in North Georgia that had about 50 people. Dad would have to carry his walker with him or a wheelchair or something like that to get around, but he and Mama would visit, and they're telling everybody about the love of God and about Jesus. When Joyce and I got married, I was a terrible sinner. That's not to say I'm not a sinner saved by grace today. But it was worse when we first got married. Down, down deep inside, I know that I entered that marriage just saying yes to everything the preacher told me to say. You know how you do that? You know, at this point, you know, he say, do you promise to love, honor, and cherish? And I'm going, what am I supposed to say? He say, say, I do. I do. Didn't mean it. Because, you know, deep down inside, you knew you can get out of this if you want to. It's not that hard. But after I gave my life to Jesus, I'm not talking about getting saved. 
I'm talking about when I made the decision as a saved man to be a fully devoted disciple of Jesus, which means I wanted him to rule every area of my life, not just church. I didn't just want to practice sin management. I wanted to grow to be more like Jesus. And after I gave my life to Jesus, I found a new reason to make my marriage work. And the reason was that we had made a commitment to God. And I wanted to do what I said I was going to do. State of South Carolina might have said that I was married, but what matters the most is does God say I'm married? And he said I was. And so now, August, a few months ago, was our 52nd anniversary. 52 years together. Uh, just so you be sure, you're applauding for Joyce. Because if anybody's had to make the adjustments, it's, it's been her. But I, I would tell you that the thing that has kept us together is not that the stars destined our marriage or or that we got lucky or anything along those lines. What keep us in the marriage is our love for God and our love for each other and our commitment to keep the vows that we made because we take seriously the vows we've made to God. It's the love of Jesus, the grace of God, and hard, hard work. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a great little book called Outliers and these days, people that stay married 50 years or so are called exceptional. It's like they're exceptional people. Well, M Malcolm Gladwell says, people that are exceptional are not born exceptional. They work at it. They work at it. Well, let me give a, just a word of encouragement. I'm sorry. I didn't, didn't mean to go too long there. But um, to you who are married, you're married now, I challenge you, every now and then get your vows out and read them. And uh, recommit yourself to them the vows that you made and if they, if they were more secular vows than Christian vows you may want to rewrite them but renew that commitment I think on a regular basis another recommendation I would make is that you take the word divorce out of your vocabulary just remove it from your lexicon of words that you use remove that you know and decide you're never going to threaten your spouse with divorce and if you're married and you're having problems, please consider looking at counseling. I mean, don't, don't just say, well, the marriage is over. Let's, let's, let's go ahead and end easily. No, do the counseling. I've gone to counseling, and I encourage you to try that. And I challenge you to decide that you're just going to make this work. We're going to make this work. Young people, most of y'all, obviously, I hope none of y'all are married yet. But... <laughs> but when you get married, I, I want you to be extremely, I don't want to be scary, but be really careful choosing who you marry. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, don't even consider marrying someone that is not. Now, that's not to say you're better than them. That's just to say that's an almost impossible obstacle to overcome. And you might even practice it in your dating not just your marriage kind of a thing. To those of you who have been married before and you got divorced, 
and maybe you're single again, or maybe you've never been married and you're single and you're thinking about getting, if you decide to get married again, listen, be super careful and prepare yourself and prepare yourself for the marriage. You know, do the, do the hard work beforehand. Say, God, I really want this marriage to last. And above all things, don't settle. Don't settle. You are too valuable and precious in God's sight. He loves you. Don't settle for anything that will be less than God's best in someone for you. And to those of you that may have been remarried and divorced or something like that, maybe you need to forgive somebody or go ask forgiveness or something like that because I think that's the way forward you know and to all of us whether we're married, unmarried, divorced, single whatever, young, old I would would encourage you to say this is the, the vision for my life in my marriage now, from now on I want to be married to the person I am married to for the rest of my life That's the vision for the rest of my life. And I'm praying for the grace of God to enable me to do that. It makes a difference. It will make a difference in our culture. It will make a difference in your life. It will definitely make a difference to your kids. You see how I'm thinking of a divorce that happened, what, 60 years ago? And it still causes me to tear up. Life without a daddy kind of thing. Well, let me pray for you. Our Father and our God, I come to you now and I pray that that which was from you will bless your people and that which was not, I pray that you'll correct it and that you will enlarge uh, their understanding so that they interpret things. Anything that I've taught that's not from you, I pray you would correct it and help them. But if it is from you, I pray, pray that you would just burn it deep down inside so that so that not, not so that we pursue perfection, but that we set goals for our lives that are, that are good and godly goals according to your word. And that when we fail, we confess it. We seek forgiveness. We get up and we start over again. I pray now that your people will be people who are indeed salt and light, particularly in the area of marriage and divorce. And I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.